This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Simon Rowell, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me. Now, wow, what a career. Simon has worked on Outback Oil Rigs, managed nightclubs, been a tour guide and run marketing campaigns. He's the author of Wildcard and The Long Game and The Echo of Others, which was longlisted for the Ned Kelly Awards for Best Fiction Crime in 2018, which is a, a huge accolade, you know. His latest novel, The Good Dog, is a detective Zoe Mayer story. Uh, it's the toughest assignment that Zoe has had, and it's a murderous conspiracy of greed, deceit and and violence. She knows that her and her dog, Harry, may be her only chance to crack the case. Now, that's so unique, isn't it? I mean, there is there is a German police show, isn't there, where there's an Alsatian? Uh, Inspector, Inspector Rex, I think it was called. Yes, yes. 20, 20 years ago, it might still be going, but uh, yeah. Do you um, know of any other? I don't. I don't. Neither do I. Okay, well, so tell me where the idea came from. Um, The idea came from an article I read in The Age um, years ago about uh, a police officer who had PTSD and he was trying to get a service dog uh, for work and he was refused. And it sort of just sort of spurred me to start thinking about that. Uh, Zoe, who's my main character, has uh, got PTSD. She has has a certain reaction to drones and helicopters. Uh, which caused her to kind of black out. And uh, Harry's there to really um, warn her when that, when, when that is going to happen. Mm. Uh, so that's his primary sort of purpose. Uh, his secondary sort of uh, purpose for her, apart from being a loving, loving dog, is that he uh, reacts in a way to people that, that lends Zoe some skill in telling people whether they're telling the truth or they're lying or they're being deceptive. So the way he reacts to people, if they're, say, crying... Uh, and the way Harry reacts will tell Zoe whether they're actually genuine or not. So inadvertently, he becomes a sort of a tool that she can use to help in her job as well in terms of directly with uh, suspects. Mm. Dogs, I don't know if, whether my two could have because George was a two-kilo Maltese and John Brown was a four-kilo Maltese cross poodle. <laughs> um, so I don't think they had – well, the poodle was a bit smarter than the Maltese, but I don't think they had the um, the intelligence of other dogs. But dogs are intuitive, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, this this Harry – Harry character was based on on two dogs we had uh, years ago, uh, Jackson and Daisy. Daisy was incredibly smart, and uh, Jackson, yeah, Jackson was incredibly loyal. So between the two of those, I sort of uh, merged them together to create Harry, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how he came to be. So yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. So let's talk about how you came to writing because uh, I, well, firstly, I want to start. Um, 
nightclubs, oil rigs. Wow. <laughs> okay. So where did you grow up and how is it, what has been your journey, your long journey to writing? Okay. My long journey, when I was, uh, when I was uh, about 12 or 13, I, wanted to, I decided I wanted to be a writer. Oh, wow. Uh, didn't write anything, just thought that sounded nice and sort of cool and I could w- drink coffee and What were you reading? Oh, I was reading all sorts of things back then. I was reading um, a lot of sort of murder mystery. I read, I read, I've always read really widely. I read history, read biography, read everything really. But didn't it was but it kind of became one of those things where you want it so much that you don't actually put your foot in the water in case you're going to drown. Yeah, in something you actually want to do. So I um I sort of put it to one side. I mean, I also knew that I needed to have some life experience. And I had a fair bit of that before I was 25. I had all sorts of different, varying, weird jobs all over the place. And that sort of helped build a sort of a, a library of memory that I could then draw upon later on. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because not many people I've spoken to, they've, at the age of, say, 12 or um, those kind of primary years, they've loved reading, but they haven't thought of being as writing as being a career. You know, I, and I think because it doesn't have a career pathway like, say, a policeman or a doctor or a nurse have, those things aren't in your mind, are they, when you're thinking about no. what you're going to be when you grow up? And it's like and, and how, you know, even the idea of like a, uh, doing a course in creative writing, I'm not even sure I was aware of one back then. Yeah. Uh, so I sort of just uh, I parked it and, and went off and had a bit of, uh, a bit of a life. Um, I, I worked, um, as I said, all sorts of jobs towards 25. Then I sort of um, went back to university for four years and did a couple of degrees and then sort of embarked on a sort of a corporate type career. Went to Melbourne, had a business there for quite a number of years. Doing what? And when I, I was doing marketing and branding. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Work a lot of corporate work with big corporates and internationally as well. So that was. That's that storytelling. Was, yeah, that is storytelling, and it's, um, and it's it was it was good. And then we had a uh, in our family, my uh, my stepbrother um, uh, got cancer. Oh, um, I'm sorry. And, you know, and he's sort of about thirty six, and he sort of he sort of battled it for years and three years, and uh, passed away just before his fortieth. And through that period, I started to sort of reflect on uh, things that I'd wanted to do but hadn't done. Mm-hmm. One was writing. One was moving mm-hmm. to the country. So we uh, we we bought a property up in the country and moved up there. And also I started writing. So I wrote the Echo of Others back in about 2017. It was published 2017. It was probably 2016, 17. Um, well, uh, what made you like? I want to start writing, and you jumped into that really quickly. But talk to me about the genre and how you thought that that's what you were going to be or were you not aware of genres you just had this story to tell how did the first story come out and how did you categorize it i think the the, the genre question the genre picked itself in a way for me yeah i was sitting in a cafe in kyneton in victoria um, towards bendigo and i had an an idea just sort of came to me out of the air and i grabbed a napkin grabbed a pen and just started jotting this mad sort of plot down. Mm-hmm. And basically 90% of the plot was there on the, on the, on the napkin in about 10 minutes, uh, which is kind of a, a strange experience. And it's happened since as well, but it's a strange experience for the first time it happens. Obviously it changed as I was writing it, but uh, 
Uh, in terms of the genre, I hadn't thought about genre. You know, I love sort of, um, you know, literary fiction, you know, your Tim Winton's, your Richard Flanagan type novelists. But the kind of story that was in me was more a, you know, a commercial fiction sort of story, uh, action sort of based thriller, mystery type book. Uh, and that's what I was sort of drawn to, to write. That was what was on the, on the, on the page. So that's, uh, it's hard to say how it shows me or I chose it. I think probably what I said first is right. It chose me. You know, it's a bit like, uh, you know, hair colour or your eyes mm-hmm. or, you know, you, you can sort of, you can play with mm-hmm. them a bit, but your hair colour is your hair colour. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I just uh, just dug in after that. I, I wrote the, um, the first book over about a year. I edited it. You know, there was probably 16 drafts of that book. I hired an editor, the editor, and I, pub- I self-published. I, d- I didn't put it out to anybody uh, because I was really um, Why? nervous. I was nervous about being yeah. uh, being rejected, and yeah. I thought going on the slush pile of yeah. of five publishers and then not hearing anything might might kill me. Yeah. And I also wanted to um, get it out quickly because I knew that you know a book yeah, is it a publisher. There's a whole process. It gets scheduled. It might be a year down the track. And I wanted to get out there. I was really excited about the book, so I, I self-published it, which which meant learning how to do cover design, having to do marketing, how to do everything really. And that that was a, a good experience, and it did well. It's still selling, probably, you know, I'm probably still selling, um, you know, eighty copies a, a month, but it's just sitting there, just being bought. But it did pretty well. I sold probably about five thousand copies of that book. Oh yeah, that's not bad. A lot, yeah, a lot, in Amer- a lot in America. A lot in America, actually, for some reason, uh, majority in America, and that that sort of gave me the confidence, and it got well reviewed too, and that gave me the confidence to then push forward, write the the uh, the manuscript for the long game, which is the first part of this sort of Zoe Mayer series, uh, and uh, text uh, publishing picked it up. And how did that happen? How did text publishing pick it up? Somebody picked it up off the slush pile. I had to read. So you sent so, it. You sent. I sent it, it in. And why is yep. it in? Or did you send it to many people? I sent it to uh, I sent it to four or five different publishers, mm-hmm. uh, and they were the first to um, act on it. Yeah. And by the time a second publisher had come along, I was already signed. Oh wow! And I was very happy to sign with them. They uh, they've looked after me very well in terms oh, of uh, yeah. assisting me with, uh, especially with the editing of the books. Um, I've had a you know a lot of assistance there, which has been great, and a lot of you know it really helps the learning the learning um, journey as well as you're going forward. And then so after that, it's been two more books with them, and they've talked to me about a, third, a fourth in the series now too. So yeah, it's all happening. Yeah, it's yeah, good. yeah. So now do you um, you call yourself a writer? Is that what you call yourself? I, I, <laughs> I call myself an, I call myself an author. Yeah, you do. I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, yesterday I was busy building fences here on the farm, but. Yeah, I do. That's what I, that's what I am now. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a bit of a journey, but it's been been good. But no, and I'm and I'm very happy with it. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's nice to get you know, really positive reviews. A lot of people have, um, especially after the first book, they were writing to me saying, you know, I, I, you know, I love these characters. I love Zoe. You know, I don't want I want to go and have a drink with Zoe after work. You know, it was that sort of thing. So I knew I'd nail the sort of the the the, the female protagonist character pretty much. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about that. Why was your main character female? Okay, so initially I did this in in my original book, The Echo of Others, as well. Um, Yeah. I did it because it allowed me 
the freedom to write without worrying about people thinking that I'm writing about myself. You know, the Which some actually authors, doesn't work, you know, because you always it, know that it's about yourself. Yeah, it is, I but it allows, allows me allows me a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of a little bit of grace there. So that's that's been good, and, and really, I haven't really written any of the characters as particularly necessarily male or female. I've written them just as people, and that's been you know probably uh, the reason that it's been successful. I was just written individuals. Uh, and people are connected with those individuals. And individ- I mean, obviously, the dog the dog is not a sort of a, a talking dog or anything silly like that, but, I mean, the people, um, through his sort of nonverbal dogness, uh, people really connect well with Harry too. They love Harry. Yeah. Um, you know, the big question I always get at sort of festivals and online is, um, you know, is Harry going to be okay? And I say, yeah, Harry's – everyone else might not be okay, but Harry, Harry will be fine. He'll, he'll get the, he'll get in some hairy situations, but he'll, uh, he'll 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 come through. Don't worry about that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want to go back and talk about some of your other jobs. So Outback Oil Rig, talk to me yep. about how you got there. Well, when I was 15, I had a girlfriend and this girlfriend's father father worked for an oil company Yeah, wow. and he took one look at me and said, I think you'd be better off about 3,000 miles away. So off <laughs> he sent me. Um, so I got the, he got me this job uh, working in the Cooper Basin and I was up in the uh, up in So the you were 15, really? Yeah, I was 15. Wow. When they fa- Is that when, legal? When they fa- no, it's not. <laughs> oh, it's legal to get a job, but it's uh, it's not legal to uh, work in the uh, in the in the oil fields. No. So when they found out I was fifteen, they, they had a bit of a conniption up there, but that was fine. Uh, that was actually good. I stayed up there for a, quite a while. What uh, then were you I doing? Took a, I was working on on a oil oil rigs up there. Yeah, but doing what um, on the rig? Drilling. Yeah, oh, drilling. drilling. Yeah, drilling oil. At fifteen, yeah, it was insane. It was it mm. was um, it was quite nutty. Then I took a job. I got offered a job with a um, a company that was building the uh, water pipeline, which is going to supply the new town, then new town of Roxby Downs, which then was just a lot of you know steel huts in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I took a job there, and I worked um, on that job for it was three months, three month job. It was twenty four. It was seven days a week. It was 12 hours a day plus, probably up to 15 hours a day, every day in 55-degree heat and the sun. It was just – and people were going insane. But that was that was uh, interesting as well. 
And then I sort of went back. I got out of that and went to went to hotels hotels for a little while. Hang on, what happened to the girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, the girlfriend went eventually. I think. Yes, well, as they I do mean- when you're 15. <laughs> I think she was gone by 16, but. But also because you weren't there. That that was played a part. I remember calling her from a. Uh, they'd left a Telstra, left or telecom back then. Left the phone booth uh, out in the middle of absolutely nowhere, and it had been supplying a mining camp, a drilling camp, and the drilling camp had got picked up and moved off. And I had to go and find this telephone between the sand dunes one day, and I was I was calling her from this this, this phone at sort of dusk, and there was a, some dingo walking across a sand hill. It was it was poetic in a way, but yeah, it was um it was a good couple of years, and I went and ended up. I worked in hospitality for a few years. Then I went uh, worked in uh, north of Alice Springs in tourism, doing a tour guides out of Alice Springs for a little while. Oh wow! So I've done done yeah. quite a bit. Um, and yeah. then I thought uh, I really need to get a you know normal job. Uh, so I went back to uni, did, did a couple of business courses, and then sort of uh, embarked on a new life, a new different life. So it's it's been um, yeah, it's been interesting. That would have been a difficult transition. I always think, you know, because we all go to university from school to university and that transition isn't, you know, so huge, right, because you're in a learning environment. But when you've had jobs like that um, and have been working for such a long time, was that different? Was that a cultural shock for you to go back into full-time study? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, I, there were quite a few um, sort of mature-age students there. I mean, mature-age were 25. Yeah. yeah. And there were people around that sort of age. So we just sort of um, found each other during orientation and sort of just collected together and sort of worked together because there were things there that we hadn't touched for, you know, a while, like statistics. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, we sort of lent on each other a bit and that was a, that was a good experience. There was probably five of us in total that worked together, so... No, it worked out pretty well, and I was yeah. working. I was working full time whilst I was studying as well. So oh, I was quite. Okay. Um, I was quite quite busy. I was working nights, weekends, and everything. So I was doing, you know, forty hour work weeks as well as wow. full time yeah. study. So it was. Um, it was a big couple of years, and then uh, it was back in the day I, when people had stamina. Stamina, and we didn't have Facebook, so yeah. it was, you know we had we had more time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all social media. Okay, so while you were at university, did you play around with the idea of writing then? I did. When I was just before university, I, I remember I wrote something. I wrote, I think I wrote a short story from memory. Yeah. And I had a, um, I had a, a, a Danish girlfriend then, and, and she, uh, and she read it, and she went, um, and she sort of rolled her eyes a bit, and I went. Ugh. So I put that away. I thought I'll put that oh, away for twenty awful. years and see. Yeah, what, yeah it wasn't wasn't great. Yeah. Um, she's not around anymore either, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't. I didn't really. I think it was you know with with um, my stepbrother Paul uh, that sort of uh, brought mm-hmm. it back into focus. And I sort of mm-hmm. I trained myself in terms of uh, writing, in terms of uh, how to go about. I read, I read a lot of books. Um, there was a there's a book called The Story Grid. Which is a interesting book on structure, uh, and they've got a podcast as well. And that, were, and I sort of was listening to that and reading that book in conjunction. That was very useful um, in terms of getting the, the the structure of the books right. And I used that structure to write the Echo of Others in originally. So that sort of that sort of helped me. But yeah, I'm just I'm a sort of a curious person, so I tend to sort of look deeply into things when it, when it, when they catch my eye so I'll mm. really work hard on it so yeah. yeah yeah and learn okay so when you did start writing were you still working full time uh, yeah. 
So what did a writing day look like? Um, I was working for myself then, so it was uh, a case of being able to work around 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 work. So I was writing more when the, when the, the urge sort of hit me. So I'd be writing at night and in the mornings, and it, it might take you know an hour off at, at lunchtime and, and write then. So I was probably you know going through probably um, two thousand words a day, maybe mm. uh, writing. But that book went through so many iterations. I I wrote it. I probably wrote you know three hundred thousand words to write a. 90,000 word book mm. um, so there was a lot of there's a lot of learning in doing that as well it's like an apprenticeship in a way mm. um, well it's practice we always talk about that on this podcast it's practice yeah, yeah. absolutely and practice makes uh, as close to perfect as you can get really so yeah. it's yeah. just a case of continue to to uh, learn and be curious and 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 push and try and make the next book better yeah um, and that's what I always try and do when you're writing do you are you writing full time now, or are you still working? I'm still. I've. I've. We've got um, 50 acres here, so I'm, oh, I'm busy okay. with. Uh, yep. when we've got a, a rescued animal sanctuary, so we're. Oh, um, we've got cows and sheep and chickens and a couple of rescued dogs and all sorts of things. So we've got. Um, I'm quite. Uh, we've got busy things to do around around here and uh, keep things going, vaccinations and so forth. But you know, the, my main focus is is writing. Yeah. So what does a writing day look like now? Um, usually it's a, a case of trying to do do work in the morning. So I'll get up and I'll start at nine o'clock and start like a regular job and just and push and push and push until uh, until I'm out really. Yeah. Uh, out of out of out of ideas or out of energy. So it takes. So you a, don't a fair give yourself of, a word count or a no. I, I I don't tend to do that. I, yeah. I have done in the past, um, but I tend to just. When I've done it in the past, I've tended to have to throw away a fair bit of writing because I'm just sort of pushing for the words rather than word count rather than the yeah. the uh, the words. Oh, that makes so sense. Yeah. yeah, so I, I tend to um, you know there'll be some days where I'll write five four four half uh, five five thousand words, other days it'll be five hundred, and I'll say yeah. no, haven't, it's not there. But I tend to structure my um, novels out. Uh, I plot them extensively first. Oh, you do. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I I sit down and I'll, I'll come up with the basic one pager, yep, uh, with the the plot, and then I'll really interrogate that for maybe you know six to eight weeks, and just build it out, build the characters out, give them all the attributes, build character maps for everybody in the book, um, and really just plan to the nth degree. And once I'm sort of happy with that, then I'll start planning out the chapters. Uh, and once I've done all that and I've got my, my character list up on the wall there, I'll, I'll, I'll start writing. Okay. And that tends to mean I don't have to throw away big chunks of work. Yeah. And do you write in, in linear? Like are you writing from beginning to end? Yeah. I do. Things move around though, but uh, yeah. So from that first that, that first one pager, I'll probably end up with, uh, you know, 90% of that will end up in the book. 10% of it will change. There'll be some – there's always some – major addition that happens uh, usually towards the end yeah. uh, to, to bring things together. But, uh, yeah, I, I tend to, you know, people who uh, can write on the fly. And a, a lot of people do. Me. Yeah, they, they do. do. I, was talking to, I was on a panel with Tony Jordan she's last wonderful. year and she, she said, you know, she sits down and writes and I'm thinking, well, that's just magic. Yeah, Can't, yeah, yeah, I could never die. I'd sit there and just yeah. stare at the page, but um, she can do it. So it's good, good for her. It's really good. Yeah. But um, I think if I was doing it, I'd be writing uh, 
I've been doing a lot of editing. Let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah, 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 and everyone has a different way of getting to the, the end of the story. It's really interesting. Absolutely. And I've spoken to so many people and so many different ways of uh, storytelling. It's quite interesting. I remember when I first interviewed Tim Winton, and I love, love his work. And for some reason, I don't know why, because I'd been in the industry a long time by then, but I still thought that he's he just writes beautiful sentences. Like they just come out and, you know, he writes them and they're just gorgeous. But when when we spoke, he said he labours over each sentence and writes yeah. and rewrites and rewrites. Now, not that that changes anything for me, but it was a surprise to me. It's 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 good to hear <laughs> as yeah. another author. It's, it's good to hear that yeah. sort of uh, feedback, I suppose, uh, because yes, it's um it's a bit like uh, you know Tim Winton's one. Colin McCann from New, uh, yeah. from New York is always yeah. Irish, but he's in New York. Uh, he's another one who writes uh, you know those beautiful sentences. They're, they're I mean they're they're absolutely poetic, but they take of course a, a yeah. work. So that's yeah. um, that's yeah. part of it. But I mean those. You know, with with him, there's certain certain sentences that he's written in books that I just almost I'm almost write down and put on the wall. I mean, they're just so they're so lovely. Yeah, that's so um, And uh, you know, that's that's a big reason for his massive success. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember which book it was. My favourite is The Riders, for sure. And I've interviewed him a few times since, but I remember with one of his books, I, um, it's my friend here in in San Francisco, actually. I took a photo of a sentence and I said, you know, I sent it to him. I said, like, you know, this is for me. It's just perfect. And then I kept reading and then there was another sentence. And, and in the end, I thought, if I'm not careful, I'm going to break copyright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my taking. All these photos and sending yeah. them, which wasn't the intent. The intent was to share one good sentence, but yeah. there was many. There was absolutely no. many. Hey, uh, the Ned Kelly, best uh, first crime in 2018. How did you feel about that? That's a huge oh, that, accolade. That was um, that was fairly amazing. There were uh, there were two self-published, because I've got a number of categories. Yes. Uh, there, there were two self-published books that year, I think, that, that, that sort of got picked up, which was really amazing. So it was a, a good feeling. It helped uh, uh, with my confidence a lot in terms of, yeah. you know, the feedback from readers had been really good, but it, you know, it, it felt, it felt, it felt great actually. Yeah, it's so that was uh, there. That was good. Oh, really fantastic. Good. That's good for you. All right, we're out of time now. Uh, the book is called The Good Dog. Uh, Simon, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Cheryl. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.